Welcome back. Part two. True crime on easy street. So let me go ahead and get this out of the way. Do it. This is a part two. Yeah. If you have not listened to part one, pause us. Stop. Go back to our previous episode. Uh Uh-huh. Previous episode. I knew what you meant. (laughs) (laughs) Are we going to have the giggles again today? We're off the rails. Uh, Go back to our previous episode and listen. And then come back and we will be waiting for you. Yeah. Here. I mean, if you want to be weird and be out of order, it's... That's okay. I guess that's on you, but... I mean, some people probably have watched The Godfather Part 2 before they watched Part 1. I did. So, there you go. Yeah. If you want to be weird like Scott, keep playing I and did. live on the edge. Yeah. So, we are back mm-hmm. today to discuss... Continue our discussion. Yeah. About or- the mafia mm-hmm. in America. In America. We're going to be in a new decade. Mm-hmm. That's right? right. Yeah. The 40s. Are we in the uh, 40s? We're, 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 50s? we're the end of the 40s into the 50s okay. today. All right. So, Scott, last week did a fantastic job of taking us through prohibition Yay to me. late 40s. I'm cool like that. And when we left off last week, mm-hmm. we were in Havana. That's right. With Lucky and Luciano. He's, and he's having his meeting mm-hmm. with all the other right. crime bosses. Are you going to tell everybody who we are? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, my name is Kelly Turner, and I'm not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Katie Givens, not a lawyer. <clears throat> anyway, now, we're back in to your story. Yes, we're in Havana. And a young... Who is singing? Uh, Frank Sinatra. Okay. The car. Talk about some golden pipes. He also... Ties oh, to a lot of mobsters. Yeah. Sinatra. You also said to not let you forget you were going to start this episode with something. This oh, yeah. I've got it right here. Uh, just okay. a little, uh, not that we need a palate cleanser. We're not going to be just covered in blood when this episode is over. There'll be some spillage. Okay, well It's sort of a palate cleanser, but not really. Okay, you well guys, then do that first. Okay, then. you guys see this in the news. There's a lawsuit in Miami. Oh. A group there has sued Burger King. Oh. Because they claim the fast food franchise's TV ads and in-store menu boards show an image of a Whopper that is much larger than the actual product. I thought everybody understood that that was how that worked. <laughs> okay, so let me explain this to you. If you have an 85-inch television... Uh-huh. The Whopper's not going to be that big. Your sandwich will not be yeah. 85 inches. Seems logical to me. Also, in food ads, a lot of times, that's not even like the food that you're looking at. No. Yeah. You know, like, what is it? That's the big one, like ice cream. That's never it's, ice cream. It's yeah, it's can actually be mashed, mashed potatoes. potatoes. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, because they they make it look pretty. Yeah, and it stays. You know, they they have the the hot lights. Mm-hmm. The, you 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 can't have ice cream. You cannot not going to have that in lights. Now you can't have a burger, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be that big because they zoom in on it. So yeah. take your sandwich and they shove everything out of one side of it. Yeah. Yes. So so take your sandwich, guys, who are trying to sue, mm-hmm. and. And pick it up with your hands and hold it really close to your eyes. And then it looks the same. And it'll be bigger. <laughs> and there it is. Well, a judge it's has allowed same. this class action lawsuit to go forward. Oh. He says he's going to allow a jury of reasonable people to decide what constitutes false advertising and breach of contract. Good luck finding 12 reasonable people. Well, that's the qualification for all juries. Right. Is that not also the qualification for a judge? Yeah. I don't know. 
Poor Burger King. I don't think they're doing well to begin with. I don't know why just Burger King. They all do the same thing. It's probably the, the same agency. Have you ever seen all a of the ads? Billboard for McDonald's and the that the giant fries on the billboard. Yeah. Does anybody think of fries as big as your arm? And let me just say this. I've never gotten a Whopper and thought, that's a small sandwich. Mm-mm. Yeah, I like the Whopper Junior. Yeah. Yeah, same Is here. it possible they got a Junior when they ordered a Whopper? Maybe. I assume that somebody did some diligence somewhere along the way, legally speaking, to make sure that this I mean, is the ridiculous. judge is going to let it go forward. So. This is ridiculous, and this is a waste of time, and it is a waste of the judicial process. And a waste of Burger King's resources. I mean, limited like I resources, said, they, perhaps. Yes, because they can't be doing well. Mm-hmm. I've not, I've not seen a Burger King doing well in a while. Yeah, and I, I haven't like seen a Burger King in a while. Well, I'm a fan mm-hmm. of of a Burger King. I am too. They have frozen Coke, like you get at the movie. Ooh, nice. Man, those things are wonderful. Okay, and they're I, not a sponsor, but no. they could. Be. <laughs> and I like that weird. Hey, hey Burger be. King, we're a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to see you because your burger's too small. No, we, we think Katie, your burger you is big I enough. I like that weird, long chicken sandwich that oh, they Oh, I do have. too. Yes. The that one is, on the hoagie bun. Yes, that is my favorite yeah. thing from burger. It's just mayonnaise, lettuce, and that weird chicken. I I've the, actually tried one of those Impossible Whoppers. I just the, wanted to see. It's, it's, it's not an actual meat. Yeah, it's right. something. Meat yeah, Impossible meat. It's not bad. Really? It is really it black wasn't. beans? Is it like a black no, bean? No, it, it's not that. Uh, it's something else. Okay. It's that impossible. Like, you can get the impossible meat at like the grocery store. Okay. But. I've had a black bean burger before that. Yeah. They used yeah, to have one of those school. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would prefer a Whopper with cheese, though. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it's really not that much, like the nutritional facts on it are not that much different. Uh, like, I'm not walking into the Burger King and checking the calorie. No, that's why I get that weird chicken no. sandwich. I don't yeah. even know what's in the weird chicken sandwich. Yeah, it's probably not real chicken. I, you know, like it's, black it, beans. It's kind of, yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I, I mean, like it too. I haven't had tomato to mine, but otherwise uh, I have it exactly the same right. way you do. Okay. Yeah. So, but you don't go in the, in the fast food place and, and check the uh, calories. I mean, you really shouldn't. I mean, no, I not unfortunately even know about. Don't even, don't even look at it in Subway. I know what how many calories are in everything I eat. That's just a, a weird like. I, I mean, that's well, a good thing. I'm not yeah. saying that's a bad thing that mm. you do that. You probably you you've grown up in a world where every menu has the the caloric intake of every yeah. item on the menu, and yeah. it just sticks right here yeah. in, in my brain. And yeah. that's yeah. only been around for what 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. like, maybe something that happened during the President Obama years. I yes, Michelle so, yeah. Obama. That was because yeah. mm-hmm. that's also she changed the lunchroom at school, and then all the children were starving. Yeah. As a as a parent of children who came home from school, <laughs> I, I saw the uh, the lunch menu. Yeah, every county school has the same menu. Yeah, um, and I saw the menu for September mm-hmm. a couple of days ago online, and they still have that square cheese pizza that I remember from when I was in school with corn. With yes. corn, it mm-hmm. was with corn and a, a little fruit cup that yeah. you rip the top off. So this that's been around for. Yeah. A long time now. Yeah, but yeah, your yeah. bread is Stick not, with what you know. You don't have the white bread. Okay. Well, yeah, some like, of the menu items, they had beef tips one day, and then uh-huh, there was yeah. like a barbecue sandwich and mm-hmm. uh, barbecued meatballs one day. Yeah. It looked, there had been some changes made. I'm just saying. But that pizza is still there. Whatever I always your, hated it. Whatever your political what? uh, yeah. choices are, the lunches have gotten better when 
Michelle Obama was no longer in control of them. In charge of the menu. (laughs) So, anyways. All right. right. When we left off last week, Mm -hmm. Frank Sinatra is singing. That's right. All the bosses are meeting. Yep, in Havana. They've been called there by Lucky Luciano. And he wants to go back to having a a godfather. Mm-hmm. What did yeah. you call that? The 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 commission. No, was the, the godfather. Italian. Capo di tutti capa. That's that one. A, that's Italian or Sicilian for the boss of all bosses. That one. He wa- and he is capi. benevolently volunteering. What a swell guy to be that. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that go? Well, uh, he's nominated himself to go back to the godfather. Uh, leadership sure, sure. schedule. He's afraid of losing control of his business, as we mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. And he was no fan, remember, of this system 15 years before when Maranzano got knocked off by after him. he wanted, by Luciano, <laughs> after he declared himself yeah. capo di tutti capa. Yes, yes. So it's been 10 months now. We're in Havana in December of 1946 at this big meeting. It's been 10 months since Luciano was released from prison and deported to Italy. We mentioned that at the end of last yes. week's episode. Despite the fact that he's an American citizen. Mm-hmm. So he's been in Europe for a few months now. Wait, wait, wait. He's an American citizen, but they deported him? Correct. To Italy. That was the, the condition of his part. I, I just assumed that he, he was Italian. Well, I don't know. If, no, he was Sicilian, but they I mean, sent I mean, him to Sicilian, Italy. What, like, he, was, he was Sicilian. They sent him to Italy, but I don't know if he was... Te- <laughs> he considered himself an American citizen. I don't know if he was legally on paper an American citizen. I just citizen. don't know how you deport someone who is an American... Like a, a citizen. Yeah. Hmm. It'd have to be some... Uh, I mean, some I get making an pulled. agreement that you have to leave, but like, how can you force an American citizen on another country? Like, I don't know. Anyway... Yeah, I, I don't understand it either. It just it, but that's maybe he had dual citizenship. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. And so now it's 1946. Luciano wants to add to his business interests a new one that is in Cuba. It's a big one too. It's a, it's called the Hotel Nacional. It's a stately waterfront hotel and casino right there in Havana. That's where the meeting took place. The biggest mafia meeting since 1932. Frank Sinatra's singing in the showroom, as Kelly mentioned. Everybody's and, flown down, I guess. Yeah, Sinatra, he shows up whenever Luciano asks. <laughs> because Luciano has helped to fund Sinatra's rise to celebrity. Okay. Their connection is that Sinatra's ancestors come from the same town in Sicily where Luciano was born. Okay. So they become friends. Mm-hmm. Luciano has the influence. That's why Sinatra And then Sinatra had the talent, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. certainly had the talent. Yeah. Uh, American playwright author Miller once described Cuba as, quote, hopelessly corrupt, a mafia playground, a bordello for Americans and other foreigners. That's what it was Ooh. in the 50s. But Luciano looked around himself inside that enormous, gorgeous hotel casino and saw the future of organized crime. He realized that done properly, where it's legal, casino gambling, was a lucrative business with consistent profits, much more glamorous than dealing with prostitutes or illegal drugs like heroin. Right. Plus, it's legal. It's just less messy. And it's less, much less messy. Now, one of the other guys at the table at that big meeting is Vito Genovese. We mentioned him last week. He's yes. one of the guys. 
We never really got around to talking about him, but Genovese and Luciano have known each other for years, and they used to be close when they were kids coming up, when they were those two of those kids being recruited by the, the previous generation of mafia leaders there mm-hmm. in New York. They worked together and knew each other and had always gotten along, but as they grew up, they grew apart. When Luciano was sent to prison in 1936, Genovese took over as boss of the family. This was years before Costello became the boss of the family okay. later on. or I think Genovese was, he wasn't in charge for very long in the 30s when Luciano went to prison. And then he got kicked to the curb, demoted for some slight, and that's when Costello took over. Uh-oh. Well, how'd he get invited to this meeting? Well, because he's still running a family. I mean, he's still in charge okay. and he's been around forever. So he's, he's part of the group, whether and they like him or not. Okay. All right. But Genovese, yeah, he was only in charge. I found my notes. He was only in charge for about a year because uh, Genovese had to flee to Italy on a murder charge. Uh, So he didn't come back until after the war. Okay. So when Genovese headed to Italy, Luciano, that's when he appoints Costello to take over. Oh, okay. So Yeah. yeah. All right. That makes sense. Now, when Genovese did come back, he was arrested after the war, and he was going to be charged with that murder, but strangely, weirdly, serendipitously, the witness was murdered two days before he was supposed to testify, and the charges were dropped. I mean, it happens. So we're back in this meeting in Havana. Here these two men are. They're back in front of each other, Genovese and Luciano, for the first time in a decade. Uh, Meyer Lansky, he's also at the meeting. Remember him? He's the financial whiz. He's the guy who set up all of the gambling operations in Havana and Cuba to begin with. Another topic discussed during the meeting in Havana was whether or not to branch out into illegal narcotics. Heroin was still legal in Italy, even though it had been outlawed in America in 1920. Luciano's plan was to sneak the heroin over to Cuba and then repackage it ship it to Florida, and then distribute it nationwide. Okay. So they just picked heroin because it was still legal in Italy and easy they could to get, get it. Yeah, easy to get in, in Italy. And remember, uh, Genovese is over there. Mm-hmm. So he has set up this entire production mm-hmm. system for heroin. He's turned uh, out-of-work candy shops in Italy into drug labs. To, to, Lord. to get this heroin made and packaged and shipped out. Wow. Imagine heroin being legal. Yeah. It was here until 1920. You could buy it in cough syrup. You could buy it in pills. They gave it to kids. It was, a, uh, it was for pain. It was yeah. to help you sleep at night. Yeah. How is it legal in Italy? Was it in all forms or? I don't um, know about the okay. specifics about how it was legal, but in 1920, it had been outlawed here. You could no longer sell it over the counter. Yeah. In got the it outlawed. States in 1920. Or- uh, no, it was probably that was part of the push, but uh, more and more people were getting addicted to it. Yeah. And it was starting, people were starting to become obviously yeah. blatantly yeah. addicted to heroin. And, and it's so interesting in present day when the, uh, when they started cracking down on the prescription opiates yeah, that you Oxycontin. could, that, that in you, and it's harder to get. Yeah. Then what we see now is a rise in heroin use. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
and that seesaws. Yeah. If if they when when the restrictions were not so strict on opiates, mm-hmm. heroin use went down. Okay. So it's it's a it's an interesting um well, look. There will always be a human desire a certain percentage of the population just wants to do that. To self-medicate, ease the pain. Yeah. Yeah. So this meeting in Havana, we're still in Havana. It it takes place before Bugsy Siegel gets knocked off in Los Angeles. That's in June of 47. This is December of 46. So Siegel isn't there, but he was discussed at this meeting. One of the reasons he was killed a few months later was because this was when all of the mob bosses realized, Hey, wait a minute, Bugsy's not paying you. He's not paying me either. I haven't gotten any money from him. Have you, have you, have you, nobody's gotten any money from Bugsy. And that's when, well, obviously he's stealing from us. We've mm-hmm. got to do something about it. That's when these revelations are, are first realized. And this plan of action is put into place to deal with Bugsy. And the fact that he and his Alabama based girlfriend, are stealing money from the mob. Did she get murdered too? She did not get murdered. Okay. I don't know why, but she should have. I don't know if we want to say that someone should have gotten murdered. Well, I'm not saying it's justified. I'm (laughs) saying that based on their justification for killing Bugsy, perhaps she was just as guilty. I think she was lucky. Um, or maybe she wasn't at home yeah. or maybe she maybe was, they just didn't care enough about her and just wanted to get him. She was a former prostitute, so maybe she was good at other things and they figured it would be a good idea to keep having her around. Did they keep her around? They kept her around. Well, what is what I'm not going to say, what is she doing? Because I'm not going to lob that up. Yeah. But I, I'm going to say, is she she's, is she still employed by the mob yeah, at this she's, point? She's staying busy. Okay. She's staying busy. Now that opening at the Flamingo Mm -hmm. takes place six days after this meeting in Havana. Bugsy's opening at the Flamingo in Las Vegas. Okay. Six days later. He has no idea. First of all, most of the hotel rooms were unfinished when it opened on December the 25th. The day after Christmas. I mean, that's Christmas Day, right? That's Christmas Day. That's Christmas Day. It opened on Christmas Day. It's 300 miles from its target audience out on the West Coast in LA and Hollywood. There's a horrible rainstorm between LA and Las Vegas. The hotel rooms aren't finished. Anyway, the opening is a bust. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take a business savvy individual to yeah. know that would have been a bust. Well, that was one of the problems that if, if Siegel, Siegel was a, he was an enforcer. He was an assassin. He was a gangster. He was a bad dude. He wasn't a businessman. He was not a businessman and he convinced the mob to loan him a bunch of money to build a casino and he didn't know how to do it. And so the costs were, the overruns were ridiculous. Is the, is the Joe Pesci guy loosely based on him? No, Joe Pesci's character in Casino is based on another mobster, uh, who was based in Vegas in the years after oh, okay. Siegel after was that. killed. I can't remember his name, but I did run across that when I was doing my okay. research. So one of the discussions that takes place at this meeting in Havana, we're almost out of Havana, I promise. But Luciano and Genovese, they got into a fist fight at that meeting after it was over because Genovese, like I mentioned earlier, he has already been in Italy and he has set up this entire heroin operation, Mm -hmm. but he gets the same cut as everybody else when this 
when this conversation and this agreement takes place at this meeting in Havana, and he gets pissed about it. So he approaches Luciano. Long story short, they get into a fight, and Genovese gets the worst of it. He ends up with three broken ribs and a fractured left arm under penalty of death. The hotel doctor is told to tell everybody that Genovese slipped in the shower. Mm. Not that Luciano whipped his ass. But Genovese got his revenge. In February of 1947, after being tipped off by Genovese that Luciano was in Cuba, Cuban authorities eventually deported Luciano back to Italy again. Okay. They had been pressured to act by American law enforcement who correctly saw Luciano's uh, presence in Cuba as the main reason for the increased heroin trade on, mm. on, in America. Yeah. So, returned to Italy, Luciano was briefly thrown in jail before he was released. And he, at this point, he's pretty much, Luciano is never going to be a major factor in organized crime. When he goes back to Italy, he tries to maintain the reins and he does for a while. He'll still come up a few more times in the story, but his, his authority is slowly slipping through his fingers and eventually he's just going to retire to Italy. And is Genovese in Italy as well? He's back. Remember his, his murder okay, witness so got killed. Got so back. he's back. So home. he's, Oh yeah, that's right. His, uh, and that was part of his plan. Yeah. If I can get Luciano back to Italy, there's nobody left. Okay. So yeah, I, I'm going to be able to take over. That, the family. That's right. That's right. My bad. Meanwhile, back at Mafia headquarters, I guess there's Mafia headquarters somewhere. Is that in New York? I guess in New York City, right? Frank Costello, he's running the show. He's been running the show in Luciano's absence. He's still right now. Genovese hasn't taken over yet, if he does. Okay. Costello is still in charge. So Costello has to decide what to do about the bottomless pit that is the Flamingo Casino. And that's, that's when that decision gets made. I mean, it's after the meeting. But they've had this big discussion about how Bugsy is not, is not paying everyone. Yeah. And so Costello finally, and Costello and Siegel are, are childhood friends. Oh, man. They go way back. And so he's but like, that's it. You got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. They were certain that Siegel was stealing. Costello, Lansky, he was, uh, he was, he was the discussion, he was included in the discussion. He's skimming the money. They actually see Jenny Hall, our, uh, Jenny Hill, I'm sorry, our, our Alabama connection, mm-hmm. Siegel's girlfriend. They see her in an airport with a bunch of luggage headed to Switzerland. Mm. And so they put two Wonder and two what's together. what's in that thing. luggage. It's full of money and she's headed to secret bank accounts in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Maybe they needed her alive so they could get the money back out of those secret Swiss bank accounts. Maybe. Or maybe she rolled on Bugsy. Maybe she no. did. Yeah. So it was, like we said already, June the 20th, 47, Bugsy gets shot nine times with a military-style M1 rifle from less than 10 feet away. Right outside. There's somebody standing right outside his window. I'm thinking she was in on this. Shoots him nine times. She's not there at her mansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's out of town. Sounds, sounds yeah. very convenient. Yeah. She, yeah. They might, we'll let you live if you help us yeah. do this. She's like, hey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
All right, so now we're going to jump ahead a little bit to 1951. We are in Washington, D.C., and there's a hearing in a meeting room in the U.S. Capitol. The gathering was a Senate committee appointed to investigate organized crime in America. The meetings were chaired by a Tennessee legislator named Senator Estes Kefauver. K-E-F-A-U-V-E-R. Kefauver. Okay. The hearings were commonly referred to as, wait for it, the Kefauver hearings. Mm-hmm. Very creative. Yes. <clears throat> and they became very famous, very popular to the public at large because the proceedings made history. The first government proceeding to ever be broadcast live on television. It was a national phenomenon. Everybody left work early, mm-hmm. skipped school. And the topic of conversation is, we've the mob got in America. a problem and it is the mob. Yep. Okay. And it is the very first time that the people on the street, a lot of them have ever heard about the ins and outs of how the mafia operates because some of these, a lot of them aren't really saying anything. They're, they're, a lot of people get subpoenaed to come and testify. Most of them plead the fifth, but a few of them uh, drop a few little tidbits. One of them is uh, Virginia Hill. She testifies and she gives them a mouthful, including on the way out, uh, afterwards and right in front of a camera that is live on the air get that camera out of my fucking face <laughs> oh she said on that? tv in 1951 in the united states of america she said that that's right and it played again because it was live you can take the girl out of alabama but you can't take the alabama out of the girl right <laughs> all right so you guys know who j edgar hoover was right I've heard of him. He's already been the head of the FBI for 20 years in 1951, over 20 years. But he was not happy about the Kefauver hearings because Hoover insisted publicly, loudly, and frequently that there was no such thing as the mafia in the United States of America. <laughs> that was the official public position of the Federal Bureau of Investigation <clears throat> at the time and would be for another six years until something crazy happened at a little farmhouse in upstate New York, and we will get to that in due time. All three, I'm sorry, let me start over. All of the people at the Kefauver hearings, they were U.S. senators. They were trying to tie together what they thought was organized crime. Hoover said, no, these guys are independent small crime organizations that every once in a while uh, combine forces to pull off a big job, but there's no organized national crime syndicate as it will come to be known when it is discovered and admitted to. Hoover says that there's no way that that's a real thing. So now, whose payroll is he on? Well, that's, that's a great question because there's one theory that the mafia has Hoover in its back pocket. I'm, um, Compromising photos we all learned in the years after oh, Hoover that, died yeah. in 72 that he mm-hmm. might have led a, a, a secret homosexual lifestyle with his longtime assistant, uh, Clyde, Clive Tolson. Mm-hmm. If you watch the film Hoover with mm-hmm. uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the starring role, you will see that alluded to. Not it, They yeah. don't get it into specifics, but there was something weird about those two. Well, I mean, it, it, it's always been heavily rumored that yeah. they were together. They spent they a, a lot couple. of time together. They ate dinner tonight, mm-hmm. uh, every night yeah. together. Yeah. Spent a lot and of he time. he wasn't married. N- lifelong bachelors, both of them. Yeah. So that's, yeah. And they were roommates. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the, 
Wait, what? Were they roommates? Yeah. Uh, they spent a lot of time together. Yeah, that's just, that, that's yeah. a joke people say about. That, yeah. Well, and so they're probably a couple and probably someone found that out and, you know. Used it to their advantage. With it being the yeah. time that it was. Right. Yeah, it was a different US, time. Yeah. That would have never, that would have ruined his career. Yeah. Oh, which sure. Is, it's really sad, but yeah. it would have ruined his career. Well, Senator Kefauver knows that he can't go to Hoover for help with the mafia. So he goes instead to the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Okay. And they are more than willing to start like, helping. Let's do this. Let's get We this. got a problem. Let's do it. Yeah. And who is over that? Mm, nobody you've ever heard of. Oh. Nobody I had ever heard of. And that's a shame. We should know who I this know. is. Uh, mm. That's like, let's do this. So ultimately, there's not really a lot that comes from the Kefauver hearings, except for the determination that, quote, a sinister criminal organization exists in America. That was the big revelation from the Kefauver hearings. Not much else. The people in the communities and on the streets who've been paying money for this, quote, protection slash insurance, they're like, yeah, you think? (laughs) Um, Actually, the only person that the Kefauver hearings helped in any way at all really was Senator Kefauver himself. Because he decided to run for president in yeah. 1952. Look what I did. I had a big meeting <clears throat> yeah. and it was broadcast. And I said that we've got crime in America. Mm-hmm. Well, John me. F. Kennedy is going to do the same thing in eight years. <laughs> and he's going to win. kind of how it works. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to win yeah. doing that. Yeah. But the thing with Keith Alvarez, it eventually backfired because when he visited Chicago during his presidential campaign, the mafia there presented him with photographs of him in bed with two young women at the Drake Hotel and his uh, candidacy just kind of petered out a little bit after that. <laughs> so, Was he a married man? He was indeed a married man. Yeah. And that would have ruined his career. So certainly lends credence to the possibility that the mafia might have also had some sort of secret file on J. Edgar Hoover. I'm going to say probably. J. Edgar Hoover certainly had his thousands and thousands of secret files. They just got to Hoover people. before he could say anything publicly. Yeah. Yeah. This, this guy put a target on his back and apparently was not living uh, on the up and up. And yeah, how dumb do you have to be? They were probably mm-hmm. some of their prostitutes. Probably, yeah. So it was probably a big setup to get those photos once he got really vocal about yeah. the crime problem. Yeah, if he, if he ever gets into office and decides he wants to come after organized crime, we've got this file on him. Yeah. We'll get back to that. That's something we're going to circle back to. Okay. All right, guys, that's enough politics for Pete's sake. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's take a break, and then we're going to talk some more about the mafia and murder and money and mayhem. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Wass Lake, swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club, climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village, hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve, take a days-long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park, and much, much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds, and they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are. And if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. Are you in the market for a full-time Lake home or recreational lot? 
Let Trini Davis and Elizabeth Powell put their all-star property group at Keller Williams Realty to work for you. Trini and Elizabeth are locals themselves, so they know the Weisslake area, and with over 40 years of experience, they're professional listing and buying agents, talented home stagers and photographers, and specialized marketing team will work to make your lakefront dreams come true. Check out the Keller Williams team on Facebook at All-Star Property Rome. You can also visit at All-Star Property Rome to browse their images on Instagram or give them a call at 706-844-7493. That's the All-Star Property Group with Keller Williams Realty at 706-844-7493. You can hit pause, call them now, and make your Lake dreams a reality. All right, so I told you guys that we were through talking about politics, and we are, but there's one more event in the 50s that we need to mention before we move on into the 60s. You guys remember I mentioned before the break that we were going to talk about something crazy that happened in upstate New York, right? Here we go. So at just about the same time that two new inventions began to spread around the country, and I'm talking about the drive-in movie theater and the roadside motel, is that the no-tail motel? It is when the mafia is involved. Okay. But it, they're, uh, Eisenhower is the president. They're building the interstate highway system, and that is going to create this, the opportunity for suburban America to begin to exist, and it's going to be the proliferation of the drive-in movie theaters and the roadside motels because now people can go from one side of the country to the other in, in four days. Yeah. When, not immediately in the 50s, but eventually when the interstate system gets, gets fleshed out. So it's 1957 now, and Genovese has taken over control of Costello. He's in charge of the Luciano family, and Genovese names it the Genovese family. He just does away with Lucy, uh, with Lucky, because he's stuck in Italy and can't come back. And Costello wants out of the business. So Genovese has taken over. In November of 1957, he calls a meeting at a secluded farmhouse in the middle of nowhere in a town called Appalachian, New York. Okay. And the first thing that the local sheriff in this town of less than a thousand people notice is that there are a bunch of big limousines and Lincoln Continentals at the one motel in town and he gets suspicious and starts looking around. Sure. And he already knows that the guy who owns this house, that it's in a gated community, it's, it's hard to get to, it's isolated. He knows that that guy's some sort of nefarious character because he was suspicious of him years before when the guy first moved to Appalachian and he ran his arrest file and the guy had a very long arrest record. Mm. So he's suspicious of this guy to begin with. So he knows which house to start looking at when he sees all of these limousines and becomes suspicious. So he calls some more members of the state police. They surround the property. They can't go on to the property and they can't raid the house because they don't have just, they don't have probable cause. Right. What they can do in the state of New York at the time, you could pull anybody over and ask them for their identification. And if they either didn't have it or didn't show it or tried to run, then you could arrest them. So they set up outside of the property and wait for, they're going to wait for the mobsters to come out in their cars and get them one at a time. But somebody who's delivering some produce or some meat to the house for this big party tips off the guys inside that the cops are setting up outside. So everybody takes off running through the woods. But why not just hunker down? Because they were idiots and they didn't know. Yeah, they should have hunkered down because they could have never entered the place because they didn't have any reason to. They didn't have a, a search warrant. Mm-hmm. Just some suspicious cops. They were being profiled. 
So the meeting was called to discuss the involvement of the mafia uh, in labor unions and the trucking industry. These are going to be two new areas that the mafia was going to poke its finger in and see if it became profitable for them. And so Genovese called this meeting in Appalachian to solidify his leadership after he's taken over from Costello. Hundreds of mafia members from around the country, including at least one guy from Alabama, according to Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing the Mob, gathered at this house in upstate New York. 60 of them were detained, ultimately indicted. 20 of them were charged with obstruction of justice for lying about being crime lords, attending a meeting of crime lords. And they were fined $10,000 each, uh, 10000 each and sent to prison for three years. But those convictions were thrown out on appeal one year later. And that's when I found out that at least one of those appeals that got thrown out was for a guy from Alabama. Okay. And that's all I know about him. The meeting uh, and the media storm that followed it after, I mean, this is all over the newspapers, 60 mafia members arrested in obscure farmhouse in upstate New York. This was all over the country. And that's when J. Edgar Hoover finally had to admit, yeah, okay, maybe the mafia exists. We're going to start a, 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 an arm in the FBI to look into this. And how this many is, people did he put on it? I don't know, hmm. but more than he had. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, you you told us, and I believe we were we weren't recording at the yeah. time. But you said he had before that there were four people on at his one, team yeah. looking for organized crime. That's right. At one time, before uh, Hoover admitted that the mafia existed, he had four hundred FBI agents in his New York office working on the Red Scare, the communist menace, mm-hmm. looking to ferret out communists in the government. Four guys were working organized crime in the entire city of New York in the years before the Appalachian meeting in 57 and the Appalachian meeting, Luciano is in Italy, right? He's stuck in Italy, but he still has enough pull that he knows that if he leaves his crime organization in the hands of Vito Genovese, it's not going to last long because if there's an idiot in this group, it's Vito. Oh, oh no. Yeah. He keeps making mistakes and this was another one. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, the cops are outside and he says, everybody run. Yeah. Scatter. (laughs) So Luciano, gets Genovese framed for narcotics possession and gets him sent to prison for 15 years. He does that all the way from Italy. Yeah. Just a phone call away. Good gracious. Hey, it's me, Lucky. Um, Send the cops to Vito's house. (laughs) Tell him to look in the medicine cabinet or in the cedar chest in the Mm -hmm. closet. I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But anyway, big trouble for Vito. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So he's gone away to prison. He's gone for 15 years. Uh, Vito is going to die in prison in 1969. He, will, okay. he still runs his uh, arm of the family from his prison cell for the next, what, 12 years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Vito dies in prison. Okay. How does he die in prison? Heart attack. Oh. Natural causes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys know who Robert Kennedy is, right? Was. Yes. Okay, well, he wasn't the uh, Attorney General of the United States yet, but he was the Senate lead counsel in the late 1950s. And after this meeting at Appalachian became publicized, Kennedy gathers together his senators and says, look, I want to, 
I want you guys to open some hearings. I want to do some more investigating about this organized crime element, which obviously exists. And this helped put pressure on Hoover and helped him to finally admit, yes, the FBI exists. You mean the organized crime? What did I say? The, the FBI. FBI. <laughs> yeah, for the FBI to admit that organized crime exists. So our, uh, RFK wants to, Robert F. Kennedy wants to subpoena everyone who was indicted at that house in Appalachian. And they all get on TV or in these hearings and they all just repeatedly over and over take the Fifth Amendment to the point where it becomes comical. Ah. So these hearings, the McClellan hearings, they were called at the time, uh, they were pretty much a failure except that it did remind Americans again six years after the Kefauver hearings that yes, organized crime existed a few little tidbits about the ins and outs of how the, the operation ran spilled out during the course of these hearings. So just another rung in the ladder that leads to the American people's infatuation with Mm -hmm. organized crime in America at the time. Mm -hmm. For the rest of his life, Robert Kennedy will be a passionate opponent of organized crime. Good for him. Yeah. He was the first to make a connection between the mafia and the labor union leadership. Mm. And this is while he's still the lead counsel for the Senate investigative committee. And that's when he and Jimmy Hoffa cross paths for the first time. And those two Hoffa and RFK despised each other from the first moment they ever met for as long as Robert Kennedy was alive. And he was shot in June of 1968. He and Jimmy Hoffa were at loggerheads all the time. Why? Because Robert F. Kennedy knew that the trade, the Teamsters Union was loaning money to the mafia to build casinos in Las Vegas, and they couldn't prove it. Mm. I mean, that's the short mm. version. Mm-hmm. He knows that Jimmy Hoffa is a crook, yeah. but he is overwhelmingly reelected to be Teamsters president every time there's an election. The, the working men love him. They won't hear of the notion that he is not above board and honest and forthright in all of his business dealings. Oh no. Yeah. We all know the words to that song, Mm -hmm. but we're going to talk more about Jimmy Hoffa next time. Okay. So Genevieve who was jailed in 1959, he got the 15 years for uh, drug trafficking. He turns over the daily operations to a guy whose name we have not mentioned, but you might've heard Carlo Gambino. Uh-huh. Heard of the Gambino crime family. Yes. Well, in 1959 is when the Gambino cr- uh, crime family is established. Okay. Because Genovese has to go to jail. Uh, Luciano, who is retired now from leadership in the, in the, in the mafia, uh, he settled down with an Italian dancer and died in 1962 of age, uh, of a heart attack at age 64. Okay. And, you know, we haven't even talked about there's the entire John F. Kennedy angle with, you know, his ties to the mafia, his father's illegal fortune from the prohibition era. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't have to shop around very hard to find a book that claims the mafia got JFK elected by rigging the vote in Chicago in November of 1960, or that the mafia killed JFK in Dallas in 1963 because they were pissed at him for hiring his brother to be the attorney general. And then Robert F. Kennedy coming after them with both barrels for the next three years. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really what happened in Dallas in 63, but I don't know, but that's a, that's a that's good one theory. Yeah, there's plenty of theories. Uh, so the, the assassination of JFK of course took place in November of 63, 
But there's another significant event in mafia history that takes place in 1963, and that was when, for the very first time, a member of the mafia turned state's evidence and testified in public about the inner workings of the mafia. His name was Joe Valachi. It doesn't really matter, not the way we're telling the story, but it was just one more confirmation for Hoover and the FBI and any lingering doubters that the mafia did indeed exist. Now, what happened to him? Joe Valachi? Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably got knocked off or, or sent into the witness protection program. Um, or maybe he got away with it. I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't get that far. See, I told you guys I needed more time. Well, you can, you can, I'll fill it in next patch week. that up. Yeah. Okay. Next week. Why did he turn? Uh, did they have him on something? Probably and had they, him on murder and said, and we'll spare your said, life if you'll give us something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll, you know what? When we come back next week, I will find out more about Joe Valachi and okay. about how it happened because it was the first time in history and there were a bunch of, he used a bunch of terminology. Uh, I think Capo de Tutti Capi was said out loud for the first time by Joe Valachi in these hearings. So he broke, what was the word for silence? Omerta. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, sure he, he, not only did he break it, I mean, he shattered it. Shattered. Yeah. So following Valachi's testimony, the mafia could no longer completely operate in the shadows. The FBI put a lot more resources into the organized crime uh, activities nationwide. They created the organized crime strike force in various cities. And it all, all of this created more pressure on the mafia, but it didn't really do anything to curb their criminal activities. Yeah, we know they're out there, but now what do we do about it? It's been going on for a couple of decades now. A lot of now, time. So. Yeah, it, it, was, it was the 80s really before the FBI uh, really made inroads on slowing down the proliferation of organized crime. So 50, it's been go- 50 years yeah. they've been operating. Oh, yeah, since the At 30s, point, 100 years. But I mean, I'm talking about oh, the Oh, at this 80s. point, yeah, yeah, sure, right. When, it, when that yeah. happened. Yeah, and it's, it, it's in Vegas when the mob really starts to take it on the chin from the FBI and federal authorities. But that's for next week. But, but speaking of Vegas, that was another of the areas where the mafia was most influential. Because beginning just after World War II, that's when it was 47 when Bugsy opened the Flamingo, right? A lot of people give credit to the mafia for all of the big developments in Las Vegas in the mid 20th century, millions and millions and millions of dollars of capital flowed into the city, into those new casino construction projects. And that was all the mafia back then. All of it. They can wash their money, their, their illegal money. They can wash it in their legal casino. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason why Vegas is growing so fast. Chicago, the Chicago outfit has moved into Vegas, like we mentioned before. So, and it's a free city. Anybody can do whatever they want in Vegas without worrying about reprisals for crossing somebody's, into somebody's territory or stepping on somebody's toes. Uh, The casinos run as legitimate businesses and they financed a lot of activities from, for the mafia beginning in the fifties and into the eighties. Like I said, uh, the Stardust Hotel the Sahara, the Riviera, the Tropicana, the Desert Inn, the Riviera, all of these, I said the Riviera twice. (laughs) Those were all casinos. That was most of the casinos in Las Vegas at the time, and they were all mob-controlled casinos. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Now, the 60s, there's not a lot to tell specifically about what the mob, the mafia, 
what they were all doing in the sixties, except that it was, it was a, it was a time of high cotton for the mafia. They handled, they operated very successfully in a lot of places, uh, in the sixties, of course, in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles, they were involved in the, uh, the artists unions out in LA. They helped control, uh, the film industry. A lot of movies made in the thirties and forties were financed with mob money because a lot of the studios in the 30s and 40s were run by Jewish families Mm -hmm. and banks wouldn't do business with Jewish businessmen in a lot of Mm -hmm. cases, even here in America, but the mafia would. Mm -hmm. And so that's, there's a lot of mafia money in early Hollywood. Now, is that because their main finance guy was Jewish or they just didn't care? Uh, That was another thing about uh, Lucky and Vito and, and Meyer and Frank. Being the second generation of these mobsters in New York City, they had seen their mentors be very specific about who they would do business with. They wouldn't do business with someone maybe just because they were Jewish or because they were, uh, you know, German. I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Frank and Vito and, and, and Lucky and those guys, they're like, you know what? We don't care. We're just, we're in this to make money. Mm-hmm. So good question, Katie. Yeah, they, they cared a lot less about that than the previous generation. It was just money. It, it, was, it was money. It yeah. did, they didn't care just that business. much about, yeah. You can help us make money. We can help you help yeah, us Yeah, we don't care money. if you're Jewish or not. Right. Right. Or Catholic or whatever. Yeah. One thing that happened in the 60s after these, uh, after the McClellan hearings in the late 70s and the FBI starting to sort of ramp up their activities to go after the mafia, particularly uh, they start to focus on Vegas, and that creates a situation where now the banks won't loan to the legitimate frontman that the mob has hired to run their casino because they know now that all these casinos are secretly mob owned. So that creates a, another financial situation in uh, in Las Vegas where the banks are kind of pulling out. So there's another opportunity for them to make more money because mm-hmm. they're gonna they want to borrow the money from the bank just because they can do something else with their money. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. and then pay off the bank when the loans do, but now they have to change their operations because the banks are aware that the mob owns these casinos and so they won't deal with them anymore. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the marijuana industry now in this country, you know, you, they can't because marijuana is still a federal, still illegal on a federal level. Mm-hmm. The banks won't do businesses with mm-hmm. dispensaries in states where it is legal. Right. So it's just a cash business, which creates security problems, and you know. Yes. Kind of the same thing. Another big thing that happens uh, in the 60s, uh, and it was a lot of it had to do with what I just told you, because the banks won't loan to these mafia-owned casinos. The, the legislature of Nevada changes state law to make it easier for corporations to come into Vegas and either purchase existing casinos or build their own, just so there is no doubt about the legitimacy of who owns and operates this casino. And that's a, that's an uh, an encouragement for the mob maybe to consider moving out of the city if they can sell their casino and make a ton of money legitimately. Why not? Maybe or maybe it's very important for them to maintain their ownership in that casino so they can continue to launder their money. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess different families made different decisions, but at least the Nevada legislature in 69 made that a possibility that could be considered. And in 1970, the federal government, in another attempt to go after the mafia, passed the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, which Katie 
studies in her legal uh, legal classes as the RICO Act, right? And that was built. It was written. It was designed specifically to go after the mob. It gave more authority to law enforcement to pursue the mafia for its illegal activities. It it that way I could charge even if I'm the only person who got caught selling heroin, if they can establish that I work for Kelly Turner and Kelly Turner works for Katie Gibbons, then they can arrest all three of us for heroin trafficking, according to the way the RICO statutes are written. It also established a, a, a civil course uh, through the court so you could sue somebody for compensatory damages, I guess. I mean, that's the civil aspect of, a, of any yeah. law, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, get their get your stuff back or, or confiscate their stuff. If it yeah. was, if you could determine in any way that it was, that your new house was paid for with heroin money that I helped you earn, your house is gone. Mm. Even if you didn't know. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, and so as a result of all of these things throughout the sixties and seventies, criminal activity started to decline in Las Vegas. And we will pick that story up some more next week and kind of get you through the Vegas years and into the nineties and the two thousands. We're not going to get you up to date on what's going on in the mob as of yesterday morning, but we'll get to some big events and some, some moments in history when the mafia was really cut off. Like Mm -hmm. when Gotti was arrested in the nineties and finally, Mm -hmm. anyway, we'll get to all that later. So uh, Vito Genovese, like we said already spent the rest of his life in prison. He died in 1969. Frank Costello died in his Manhattan apartment in 1973. I'm going through and cleaning up these guys whose names that we've been using. Yeah. They're dropping off now. Uh, Meyer Lansky. And there's a movie about him that stars uh, Richard Dreyfuss. And it's just called Lansky. And I haven't seen it. I didn't even know it existed until I was doing some searches yesterday. And I didn't have time to watch it. But I want to see it. Mm-hmm. It looks like it would be good. And I love Dreyfus anyway. Oh, yeah. So anyway, uh, Meyer Lansky, he retired to South Beach, lived in into his 80s. He died in 1983. That's old for a person in his position. Had plenty of chances to get killed along Mm -hmm. the way. Mm All right, so we're at the end of part two of this three-part series now. We've taken you from the 30s through the 60s in mafia history. Next week in part three, we're going to do the 80s and 90s, like I mentioned. There's plenty more big changes in store for the mafia in those years as well. Okay. The mafia that existed in the 60s and 70s is not the mafia that is still around today. What's left of it? It's still around today, the mafia is. It's just, it's changed a lot through the mm-hmm. years. They're into completely different uh, avenues of criminal activity now. We'll talk about that some more, but we'll do that uh, next week when we do tar- uh, part three of this three part series. I can't wait. I can't wait to find Me too. out what happens. Uh, so thank you, Scott. Another, another great episode. Home run ball, huh? I know. Yeah. Make sure you visit us at uh, visit us at truecrimeoneasystreet.com where you can order a t-shirt, read our bios, or click a link that will take you directly to our podcast archives on Spotify. I can't wait to go there. Yeah. Give us a five-star review. Leave your full name mm-hmm. so that we, we can give you a shout out. Yeah. Or leave a fake name. I don't care. We'll yeah, shout we that out. we don't know the difference. We don't care. Yeah, we'll do it either way. Yeah, that's any, right. We, any shout outs? Anything else to do? Is that it? I think that's Are we it. done? We're done. Good night, everybody. <laughs>